church has been going through Galatians chapter 5, and uh, I think uh, we might have some of it up on the screen, but if you pick up one of those Bibles next to you and turn to page 813, um, you, can, you can study that. We're in Galatians chapter 5, um, verses 22 to 26, and this is the section, oh, hold it, that's a good idea. Is this better? Oh, hey, there I am. Hello. Um, yeah, page 813, so go ahead and turn there, um, and you can see uh, what we're talking about. Guys, just a reminder, um, when we're going through this, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, if you have not been here in future weeks, this won't be a reminder, it'll be a new thing, but uh, these are not, um, the fruit of the Spirit are not like self-help advancement, like get me further in life attributes that you like work really hard uh, to accomplish or create in your life. They're not things that are really of you, they're of God. And so the more, the further that you journey into the kingdom of God, the closer that you get to him, the more that you pursue him. Uh, if you're a, a Christ follower, then the Holy Spirit inside of you, since a characteristic and attribute of God is faithfulness, the Holy Spirit inside of you, of God, has faithfulness inside of you. And so your objective um, should be to get more of that faithfulness to bubble to the top. Um, and I know a lot of times when we hear about these, um, fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When we hear about them, a lot of times we teach on them or we talk about them and you're like, I, there are some of those that I don't really want because, uh, I know that it's much easier for me to just like react to people than it is to like be patient and listen and observe. It's much easier to just react. It's much easier to like build up walls in our life that like protect us and keep us secluded from others than it is to show love. Um, sometimes the fruits of the spirit are not things that we crave. I think a lot of time that's because instead of being filled up with the fruit of the spirit, we've been filled in by culture um, with things like uh, snarkiness and anger, cynicism, doubt. These are the things that fill us up. These are the things that we see on the news. These are the things that our neighbors are talking about or around the water cooler, right? These are the kind of attributes that tend to fill us. But we need to get rid of those things and purge those things and instead be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. So today we are going to talk about faithfulness, um, and I'd like for us to open up in prayer. God, you are uh, incredibly faithful. We know that it is a characteristic of you. We know that it is... Um, a defining thing about you, God, that you are faithful, that no matter what, you will be there um, and we can depend on you. So I, God, I pray that we would also in turn be faithful um, and that we would live lives of faithfulness every day. Um, be with us today, God. Use these words to speak um, to the folks in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Ha has anyone here ever seen a trapeze uh, act at the, at the circus? Anybody? Has anybody ever seen it? All right, a couple, okay. Um, <clears throat> so when you watch a trapeze act, you're, you're really focused in on the flyer, right? The flyer's the one who lets go of the bar and flips through the air, does all these soaring, acrobatic, incredible things that, you know, you gasp when they almost miss, or, you know, like, uh, that's the one that you're really focused on. It takes an incredible amount of confidence on that person's behalf, athleticism, um, precision in getting their timing of when they let go, just right. Um, it's sometimes they almost appear like carefree as they're flipping through the air. But if you were to get a different perspective on a trapeze, um, then you would see things differently. 
Uh, a few years ago, Janet and I were youth ministers in Rockville, and we got to go uh, to Western Maryland, and there's a camp out there where uh, they just happen to have a trapeze. Um, and I got to do the trapeze a couple times, and I got to be the flyer, um, the one who's soaring through the air, right? Um, and when you climb up that ladder, and you're 60, 70, 80 feet up in the air, um, and guys, this ladder is like just a teeny little piece of aluminum that you're climbing. It's very lightweight. Uh, so you climb all the way to the top of it, and you're not strapped in or anything. You get up there, and you're standing on this platform that's smaller, literally smaller than this music stand. You're standing on that, and your toes are out over the edge, and you're looking over the precipice, this massive just, just death you're looking at, right? And, and you're holding on to this bar that I'm just looking at thinking, this is not going to hold me. There's, that guy over there is way smaller than I am. It's, this is not going to hold me. And I'm sweaty. My arms are shaking. I'm, I'm just looking down. And I, I start to begin to question everything that's happening here, right? The bar, the platform, the net beneath me that's supposed to catch me. Pretty sure it's not going to catch me, right? And then I realize all of those things have been like double, triple checked. It's probably okay. But there's a person over there I have to believe in also, and that's the catcher. And when you get to that point and you're standing there, you realize at some point, once I, let, once I jump off of this thing and I'm swinging, I have to eventually let go and the catcher, trust that the catcher is going to catch me, that he's going to be where he's supposed to be or else I'm going to fall headfirst into this net, which they tell you won't really hurt. I didn't believe them. So you're like hanging up there and you're looking over and it really, you begin to see the trapeze from a different perspective. And you realize that the catcher is actually the most important person because he's got to be swinging at just the right time, arms extended in the right place, strong enough to hold on to you. Um, the entire trapeze really hinges on the catcher. Um, and so it is with God. Um, there is freedom in trusting the catcher. There is freedom uh, in trusting that God is there and that he will not let you down and that he uh, is trustworthy. But it's hard for us because we have to relinquish control because we have to let go. Um, and that is scary, but that is called faithfulness. Uh, I want to begin by doing, uh, in Aaron's words, a deep dive on the word faithfulness. I want to jump in and talk about, uh, about that word how many of you guys speak more than one language? Just raise your hand if you speak more than one language. I'm putting my hand down now because I don't speak more than one language. All right. So there are several people in here who speak more than one language. I, I don't know. Opa! There you go. Um, <clears throat> so that one was for you, Becky. Um, anyways, we, uh, we do take for granted, I think, a lot of times living here in Silver Spring um, that so many people speak so many languages. And I know a lot of you didn't raise your hand because you're like, well, I kind of speak another language. You probably do. Um, I take that for granted because where I grew up, um, here in Maryland, I never, there was never a time when I had to know another language, right? I could get by, I could thrive. I did thrive. I continue to thrive just speaking one language. Um, and a lot of times I think we take that for granted and in my world travels. The few times I've been outside of the country, I've come to realize that America is one of the few countries that where, where we only know one language, most other countries, they know multiple languages. And that gives you incredible insight into, uh, the art of language and how there are nuances and how there are differences, um, in words. Um, in the English language, there are idioms like, uh, two peas in a pod, or that's the last straw or bite the bullet. I never understood that one. Why would you bite a bullet? Um, they don't taste very good, but 
Um, then there's cut the mustard, which is different from cut the cheese. Don't mix those up. Um, but there's all these idioms, right, that you only understand if you're in that context. It's not just the language. You also have to understand the context. And in the Bible, the Apostle Paul, um, who wrote the book of Galatians, um, he was a brilliant orator. We know that he was at least bilingual. He at least knew Hebrew and Greek. Um, but he also probably knew more languages. And his ability to observe the contest context into which he was speaking made him one of the best missiologists ever like this guy would walk in and he would collect from people language and he would collect ideas and pictures and then the way that he spoke in scripture we see that he he knew the people and he understood what they needed to hear and he would bring the gospel to them in that way and immediately people would jive with what he was saying immediately they were there with him that's an incredible skill um <clears throat> So when we take what the Apostle Paul has to say, it, it's so much more than just a word that we understand in English. The word faith, um, Paul uses over 200 times in his writings. Um, that's important. Uh, we should take note of that word. Uh, and in my studies um, this week, I realized that he used it in two different ways. The first way that Paul uses faith is he uses it as a saving faith. This is the point where uh, you decide to follow Christ and you make that jump, that leap, and you say, I, I trust in Jesus and he will be my savior. He'll, he's the one who will save me. Um, that moment is a really exciting moment. If you're a believer, um, you kind of have an experience, a, a moment where you remember like, man, I, I, I made this decision. This is exciting. There's this excitement around your baptism. Um, and it reminded me of... Um, a time have you have any of you guys ever saved someone's life or watched someone's life be saved i don't know if you've ever like been a part of that experience but a few months ago um janet and i were sitting with my boys and my dad at a sonic um which is amazing food it's, it's high class you sit there sit outside like they can't even afford to put walls around you so you're sitting out there you're eating a corn dog right how american is this right i'm chowing down a corn love me some corn dog mustard all over it and, uh, and my dad said something and I laughed and I sucked part of that hot dog right down my trachea, uh, which is the, where your air is supposed to go, not the hot dog. Um, and I all within seconds realized, oh, there's no air coming in. Oh, oh my gosh. Like, but you can't say anything cause you can't, you know, you don't have any air. So I made the, you know, universal sign for choking. Well, Caleb saw me, my seven-year-old, and he just kept going on with his meal. Uh, <laughs> then my wife's next to me, so I, I started hitting her, and I'm like, you know, trying to get her attention. She looks at me, and I'm going like this. Now, my wife is an ER nurse of 11 years, right? So she saves lives every day, literally. Like, it's just a part of her life. So she very casually just looks over at me. Are you choking? Yes, I'm choking. <laughs> you know, she stands up, stands me up. Does the Heimlich, out pops the hot dog. Janet sits back down and keeps eating her burger. <laughs> it was not a very momentous event for Janet, but it was for me, okay? Um, it changed my life, you know? Like, it, it was a really big deal to me. Um, and in the same way, when we have that saving faith moment, it is monumental, it is big, it is life-changing and impacting, and it gives us the energy and the oomph to go on, to carry on. And we need to remember that moment sometimes. So there's the saving faith that we have, and that gives us the strength to continue with the second faith Paul talks about, which is relying faith. This is the kind of ongoing, trudging, uh, continuous, never-ending faithfulness that um, comes from the Holy Spirit inside of us. 
And it manifests itself as we rely increasingly more and more on God for provision, for protection, um, for taking care of us. That's the faithfulness that we're talking about here today. That's the faithfulness that Paul is referring to. Multiple times um, throughout scripture, Paul uh, brings words together. And two words that he often uses together are grace and faith. And it will bring more light to us um, if we kind of study that for just a minute. Um, <clears throat> Paul was doing this for the benefit of his audience, uh, and it has to do with commerce. For us today, in our economy today, we, uh, we rely on these little suckers for economy, right? Like our, um, our shopping experience is, is completely detached from almost from reality, right? Like it's, we, we hardly ever, I mean, it's really hard if you try and trace something you bought back to its origins, it's really hard to do that um, now because there's so many middlemen and you're buying a shirt that came from Indonesia or something. Um, it's just hard to trace. In Paul's time, in the first century, it was not so. Most of the things you bought, you bought at the marketplace the day before and the lady who made the shirt, you bought it from. Um, <clears throat> it was very hands-on. Occasionally there were middlemen, but rarely. Um, and in this world of marketplace, there developed this need for someone who they referred to as the patron. You see, uh, for the farmer, fisherman, craftsman, they were uneducated, almost always. Um, and so it was easier for someone uh, who was a merchant or whatnot to take advantage of these, uh, of these people who were bringing their products to sell. So there developed this need for a patron, someone who would come along and who would act on behalf of the client and would uh, go and negotiate fair prices, navigate local tax codes, pay off the right people. They would do all of these things in order to secure the highest profit for the client, right? And so the patron became a necessary um, piece of the economy. Um, <clears throat> and so people would go out and they would find a patron. And of course, you wanted someone who was trustworthy and whatnot. Um, that patron, by going on your behalf and negotiating for you, they were doing that in their culture. It was seen as what they called um, charis, which is the Greek word for grace. So it was seen as a gift from the patron. Although you knew that you were, get, they were getting something, right? They were getting money in the end, but <clears throat> it was seen and portrayed as a gift. So the patron would give you this gift of grace. And in return, the client would naturally respond with the Greek word pistis, which is faith. <clears throat> meaning that the client would go on behalf of the patron and tell other clients, hey, you want this guy to be your patron. He takes good care of me. He gets me the best prices. He makes sure I don't get ripped off. He makes sure stuff doesn't get stolen from me. You want this guy. They would also um, show and express gratitude to the person um, in an honest, real way. Like it was, it was a natural, like symbiotic relationship. Um, Seneca was a philosopher from Paul's time. He refers to the patron-client relationship as this sacred bond. Um, it was important for both sides. They both needed it. It was mutually beneficial. So Paul, in speaking about faith, is actually directly saying through locally rooted contextualized language that God is our patron. And he has richly lavished upon us, the client, his grace. He's given us all these things. He's gone on our behalf to provide for us. Um, and so he has been faithful. And we, in return, are faithful to him. So that kind of changes your perspective on it. Um, we owe it to God to be faithful, but not in the way that we think of like, owe it to someone. It's not like a negative context. It's a positive context. You know, he's done something for us. And in return, we give faithfulness. Um, 
that's something that probably sounds like you would like to pursue. You know, faithfulness sounds like a good thing, right? In your marriage and in other parts of your life. Um, but there are things in our culture, cultural inhibitors, that keep us from um, actually doing it, from actually being faithful. And so I want to walk through those three things real quick. Um, I think the first cultural inhibitor um, is that we crave control. We love to be in control of things, right? We, everyone wants to be the master of your fate. They want to be in control of things, right? Think about, um, I mean, if you were just open your phone and turn on your, <clears throat> your apps, you would see apps like Netflix, right? Where you have complete control. You get to decide, I want to watch this film at this minute, uh, wherever I am. And you watch it for a little bit and you're like, eh, I'm bored with that kick it out, start with a new one, right? You, you have complete control of what you watch, when you watch, where you watch it even now. Um, online shopping, right? You, you can now shop uh, with ease. You can even put things in a shopping cart online and come back to it five days later and it's still there, right? You, you no longer have the pressures of someone talking you into or out of buying something. Um, well, at least we don't think so. Um, but, you know, because you're doing it all online and we feel like we have more control, we feel like we have more control in things like eHarmony, right? Where we get to um, kind of select the type of person that we want to engage with. We love control. We seek it um, in all sorts of ways. We love to calculate the outcomes, mitigate the risks. And then we just purchase insurance in case we miss something, right? Like we love to be in control. When the Apostle Paul admonishes his fellow Christ followers to live out faithfulness, I'll tell you what he wasn't saying. He wasn't saying pursue more control. That's not what he was saying. He wasn't saying the way that you are faithful is by controlling your marriage or controlling your kids or controlling all of these different things. That's not what the Apostle Paul was saying. In fact, he's saying the opposite. Faithfulness is relinquishing control. It's giving it over. It's uh, <clears throat> getting rid of that um, feeling of, of control and instead allowing God to be in control. In order to experience the joy and beauty of soaring through the air, we, we have to let go. Um, and it is exciting. And hanging uh, from that trapeze, it was terrifying. And when I swung out the first time, I came back and I tried to get my feet back on the thing because I wanted to get off. <laughs> but it was too late. And the guy's yelling at me, you know, tuck your legs. So you like bring your legs up in between your arms and then you're hanging upside down from your legs. And you're like, this is even worse. Um, but then they go, the catcher does, is there and he catches your arms and then you have to let go of the bar with your knees and then you're all at his mercy, you know? Um, but it was so fun. Um, it was so much, so exciting, but I had to let go. Um, we have to let go. We have to let go of our desire to control our circumstances. Guys, some of our circumstances are beyond our control. They are, you know, it, if you were rational and logical for a moment, you would realize some of your circumstances are beyond your control. But we don't like to think that way. We like to think that we're in control and that we have it. But we need to let go of that. We need to release that. We need to let go of our refusal to trust anyone else, to rely on other people, and to rely on God. We need to let go of those things. Sky Jathani is one of my favorite authors. He says, faith is the opposite of seeking control. It is surrendering control. It embraces the truth that control is an illusion. We never had it, and we never will. It's not something that we want to hear. Um, but when I was 
on that trapeze and when he finally let go of you and you you know i tried to do a flip coming down it didn't happen but i you know, landed on the net oh the net did catch me i'm not dead i rolled off the edge and they're like you want to go again and i'm like uh, okay i'll try it again right you climb up there i climbed the ladder a little faster right i grabbed it and i i didn't look down as many times right and i went out and i did it again and this time I, you know, I, I tried a little harder and I swung a little harder and I was more confident. The next time I climbed that ladder super fast. I got up there and I practically jumped off too early. Um, the more that I practiced it, the more that I took those risks and the more that I trusted in the catcher, the easier it got. Um, and so it is with faithfulness. It's so easy for us to fear giving up control and relenting to the spirit because we fear the unknown. That's why we love control, because if you control something, you, you at least you think you know what the outcome is. But when you give it up, you don't know what the outcome is. And that is scary, isn't it? The unknown can be so scary. So control is one of those cultural inhibitors that keeps us from being faithful. The second is consumerism. I read this article the other day where they said that there's actually such thing as an attention economy. So there's like a whole group of economists out there who study attention spans and how to get yours. Um, it, that just fascinated me. Um, there's actually scientific research um, that's gone, uh, you know, that has gone, uh, already happened, and um, it's shown the incredible effects of consumerism on the human brain. Uh, the multi-billion dollar marketing industry has studied human reactions through neurological sciences to discover how to manipulate you into consuming more. <laughs> into consuming yourself into a gluttonous stupor where you're just clicking, right? Like you've all seen someone on the train who's like doing this and you're like, is there a human in there? Hello? Like um, that's, there are people who study that, who want that to happen. Um, this cultural inhibitor of consumerism, I, I believe it has lulled us into impotence. It has taken the power that the Holy Spirit is within you and it has stripped it away from us. And the ways that it's done that is because consumerism keeps us from being faithful with our time. Think about how much time you spend on these things, right? I do it. I'm guilty of it. I'm always clicking around on this thing. It, it is eating up our time, um, and it's taking away from uh, the fruit of faithfulness. Um, it keeps us from being faithful with uh, our talents, with like what God has given you, the gift that God has given you, the person that God has made you, the relationships he's given you. Because um, we are wasting our time, our talents are not being used. And it, and it obviously, it takes away our treasures, too. It takes away um, our money, right? Because we spend a lot of money on these things. We pay every month for one of these things. And uh, it's not just that, but it's what we buy with it. And it just consumes and consumes what God has given us to use for his kingdom. The third cultural inhibitor is busyness. Um, <clears throat> We fool ourselves into believing uh, that if we just work a little bit harder uh, towards our dreams, that they'll come true, um, that we will be in control and that we um, can consume whatever we want. If we're just a little busier, we'll be able to make it to that final goal. But if you go way back in history to the beginning, when God created Adam and they were banished from the garden, he was banished to forever feel this effect of sin that mankind would forever toil endlessly, enslaved by our work, never arriving where the dream is, forever being busy. That's, 
that's what the effect that's an effect of sin that we are busy so the next time someone asks you like can you come hang out with me and your first thought is busy remember that's a sin like busyness is a sin uh, and that's a tough thing to say because i'm busy too um but we'll get back to that in a minute. Um, we're going to talk through some practical things at the end about what you can do to assess whether or not you're busy. But those three cultural inhibitors keep us from faithfulness with God. And faithfulness is really a beautiful thing. But it's one of those long-acting things um, where you get to the end and you're like, oh, okay, I see. Or you get years down the road of being faithful and you recognize the importance in it. Um, just like in marriage, right? Like when you're faithful to your spouse... That's like, you don't wake up in the morning like, I'm excited, I'm gonna be faithful today. Like, it's just something that you do. It's a part of your life. Um, <clears throat> and it's the same way with God. It's not, faithfulness is not the flashy one. It's not the exciting one that's like, oh yeah, this is this is gonna be great. It's, it's a slow, steady trudging along and continuing. Um, it's something that's like a slow grind. But I'm interested, I know that we, we think that we're against slow grinds, but you know, there are some cultural things that are making a comeback that are in vogue now that are like slow, hard works um, that you were probably interested in, like gardening, right? That's like making a comeback now. All of a sudden, everybody, at least where we live in Baltimore, half the people on our street, we live in the city and they all have gardens, right? Like that takes a long time to get a garden going, right? A lot of work. So it is with faithfulness. What about writing? <clears throat> How many blogs do you see every day, right? Everybody's striking out to try writing. Writing takes time. It takes effort. So does faithfulness. <clears throat> what about brewing beers? It takes time, right? It takes energy and effort, right? Like you have to put something into it, put some thought into it, and then you got to wait for a long time, right? Um, so it is with faithfulness. It's ordinary. Um, but my encouragement to you is faithfully rely on God in the times of excitement and in monotony. Lean into those seasons that seem slow and enjoy God providing for you. God will be faithful. <clears throat> we can't strip that away from him. We can't do something to keep God from being faithful. He is faithful. If you're a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are faithful too. Just need to, again, purge out the other things and grow in faithfulness. Um, and it's amazing what it will look like. You, this patron-client relationship we talked about, um, which is a symbi symbiotic like goodness, um, it is beneficial for the patron and the client. It's not flashy, but it is fulfilling. Uh, and it ends up becoming this sort of lifeblood that allows the patron and the client to survive it. It will help you survive being faithful. Um, <clears throat> faithfulness is life-giving, and it's a beautiful thing. Uh, I want to close up here as the band comes up um, with some uh, three different, like, I want to walk through those uh, cultural inhibitors. They're still on the screen. Yeah. I want to walk through those cultural inhibitors and give you some practical steps, something that you can think about. Okay. So if you want to write something down or you want to process, this is the time to do it. Pull out your phone, paper, whatever, write down. Um, I want to get really practical here um, to see which of these three cultural inhibitors, maybe it's all three of them, is impeding the Holy Spirit from uh, that fruit of faithfulness pouring out of you. The first one we talked about was, uh, control. <clears throat> um, I want you to ask yourself what aspects of your life do you actually have control of? Like maybe there's things you don't have control of. There are, um, consider what those are. What if your boss were to call you right now and tell you to come into work? Could you say no? Would you say no? 
sound like Dr. Seuss there for a minute. Um, <clears throat> uh, when's the last time that you handed something off to someone, delegated a responsibility at work, at home, where you serve? Um, releasing that control, <clears throat> trusting in God, it's a tough thing to do. But I would encourage you, begin to thoughtfully think and write down, where do I need to relinquish control and let God take over again? Second one is consumerism. Are you bored? Right now, are you bored? I just talked for 27 minutes. That's a long time. Not even a whole Netflix show, but it is a long time, right? Uh, Ask yourself, when you sit down, I'm guilty of this, okay? Last night, I did this. I'm sitting there watching a show next to my incredible wife. You know, I could be like, we're watching This Is Us, right? Like, who watches that, right? It's it's sad, and it's like every minute of it, you're crying. So I'm watching this show. Like, as a teenage boy, I would have loved sitting next to this lady, like, watching this show. You know, I'm going to put my arm around her, right? Well, instead, like, halfway through the show, I'm now bored with this incredible content, and I'm dinking around on my phone, you know? And I did actually like a minute into playing with my phone, I looked over and I'm like, what am I doing? I'm preaching on this tomorrow, put it down. So I did, I put it down and put my arm around my wife. Um, It is, uh, it is important guys. We, we, our brains want to consume. Uh, We are taught to consume. We are lured into consumerism. I read an article in the Guardian the other day talking about uh, several Silicon Valley tech moguls who have taken the bold step to create boundaries for themselves on the technology that they have on their iPads, iPhones, those things, right? Uh, This one was the most uh, shocking to me. Justin Rosenstein, he's the guy who actually created on Facebook the like button, right? Like every time you get a notification that someone liked it, this is the guy who did that. Um, So he has actually studied the human brain to figure out like how, why do people like things? How should they like, this guy is, is the guy who created that. He decided that this was starting to take over his attention and he didn't want that. Um, and so he set some parameters on there and he, he uh, stopped using Snapchat and he uh, set up his app store so that it was password protected. Um, and he talked about what an incredible impact it's had on him and in the conversations he's had because of it. Um, guys, it's, it's not uh, that crazy of a thing to do. Um, I did it a couple years ago on my phone and it's been wonderful for me. Uh, Janet has the passwords to all my social media. And so when I'm not with her, my social media is all turned off. And when I am with her, she can decide, do I want Andy to be lulled, you know, doing this? Maybe she doesn't want to be around me or do I want his attention? I'm not going to turn it on. Right. Um, set some parameters, um, and slow your consumerism. Uh, it will help you become more faithful. The third one, busyness. What did you say no to this week? What did you say no to this week? Did you actually choose something to say no to or are you a yes man? You say yes to everything. Every opportunity that comes along, are you saying yes to it? We need to check that. Um, Guys, just really quick. Your neighbors, your family, your coworkers are watching you. They are. They are eagerly watching you. You know why? Because they are dying of busyness. They are dying of it. Every Most of the people around you are so sick and tired of being busy. They are. And they're waiting for someone to step in and show up in their life who's not busy. So they can ask, how do you do it? And let me tell you this. If your life is so busy, you're going to bleed into the gray in the background 
and no one's going to ask. And then you won't have the opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Guys, it's one of the simplest ways that Janet and I have been able to tell people about Jesus on our block. They come and they ask, like, you guys are always on the porch. What are you doing out here? You know, and eventually at some point, often busyness comes up and we get to say, we try to make really intentional decisions about things we say yes to. Um, if no one's asking you why you're not busy, maybe you should check that um, as well. These three inhibitors keep us from being faithful. And faithfulness is an incredible thing that is inside of you thanks to the Holy Spirit. And it's something that will richly bless your life. And so it's my prayer for each one of you all that you would um, consider these inhibitors, that you would start to strip them away and that you would begin to ask God to build faithfulness in you and that you would be as trustworthy and as loyal as he has been to you.